Welcome to A Place to Fear God. I am Anwetter Wanomarin, and I want to talk about the subject Rapture. Rapture is a futurist and dispensationalist doctrine in the popular Christian branch of study, eschatology. It is the belief or doctrine or even theory that the righteous ones of God will be taken up to heaven in an hour that they do not know so that they can live with Jesus Christ and the angels. This theory was popularized by a man named John Nelson Darby in the 1830s and further popularized by various American televangelists and there were even people who predicted when it would happen, like William Miller in 1843 and Harold Camping in 2011. And today, many Christians, uncountable, believe that they will be raptured at some point. However, in this video, I am going to be looking at this theory and examining whether it is very biblical or not. Now, I want you to know that I've actually filmed two other videos where I've explained whether we're going to heaven or not. The first video was, Will You Go to Heaven? And the second was, God's Call to Heaven. So, this video isn't really going to be explaining the subject and why we're not going there, because those videos will help you understand that already. This video will be going into one of the main verses that people use to explain rapture, which is Matthew chapter 24 and verses 40 and 41. And I'll be explaining what that verse really means, both in the Old Testament and in our time the last days. And then I'll go into a couple subjects that people don't understand that makes them believe in rapture. So let's just start off with Matthew chapter 24, verses 40 and 41, which reads, Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. It's quite obvious why people would use such a verse to describe rapture, because, I mean, physically it looks so much like that's what it's talking about. But really, Jesus Christ is speaking about what the gospel message does, how it works Two people who are very similar physically, they could be brothers or sisters, work in the same place, live very similar lives, all of a sudden the gospel message pulls out their differences and they react so differently. And we can understand this with the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13 from verses 3 to 9. The seed that that farmer was sowing in various places is the word of God in our time. And if you look at where it was landing, good ground, stony places, thorns, on the wayside, of course. That represents the differences in hearts that the Word of God lands in. It is preached all over the world, if we read Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, and some people will just outright reject it. It's just not for them. Some people, they'll accept it, but then it, uh, things happen, generally. Then some, they really accept it, they start living their lives out, but then lusts of this world, what Jesus Christ would call the cares of this life, in Luke chapter 21, verse 34, comes into their lives, and before you know it, they lose their faith. But then the good ground represents the hearts that not only accept the message, but endure with it, live their lives according to it, suffer persecution in that direction. And if you look at examples in the Old Testament, it helps us understand the difference that people who are very similar physically can suddenly have. 
Now, I want you to understand, it's not that a gospel is being preached to them and then you start to see those differences, but rather it's that God chooses certain people. Some are taken and then the others are left behind. For example, Joseph was somebody who was one of 12 sons of Jacob, if you look at Genesis chapter 37 from verses 3 to 32, but he was sort of different from all of them, especially the older ones. They hated him because of the dreams that he was telling them and stuff. But if you look at how his life ended, he was somebody so big in Egypt that his brothers, who he grew up with, could barely behold his presence. If you read Genesis chapter 45 in verses 3 and 8, he helped to save the Israelites from the great famine. If we read Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 and places in Genesis chapter 45, what did his brothers become? Nothing, physically or spiritually. But Joseph was somebody very big in God's will. That is what it means for somebody to be taken and another person left. Then if you look at the story of Ruth and Orpah in Ruth chapter 1 from verses 13 to 17 or to verse 18, this is an even better example because Ruth and Orpah married to the exact same family, and both their husbands died. Ruth's husband died, and Orpah's husband died. Now, they were in the same condition, and Naomi wanted to go back to Bethlehem, her hometown. She didn't see the need in Ruth and Orpah going, because she didn't feel that her life, they, they deserved to be a part of her life anymore, thanks to all the stuff that she went through. And Orpah eventually went back to her gods and families, her past life generally. But Ruth persisted and made a very inspiring statement in Ruth chapter 1 in verses 16 and 17. Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death parted thee and me. Orpah was not somebody who had enough faith in Naomi to utter such a statement. And Orpah didn't really have anything in life. Her life just went on and nothing really happened. But Ruth ended up marrying Boaz, a rich man at that time, and became the great-grandmother of David. And of course, Jesus Christ came through that lineage. If you read Matthew chapter 1, that is extreme glory that Orpah just missed out on because she went back to her past life. That is what it means for one to be taken and the others to be left. They're left behind from God's will. They don't have anything to do with that. And all these examples help us understand what's going on in the last days. The gospel message is being preached, and those who accept the gospel message are not only called by God, if we read John chapter 6, verse 44, but those are the ones who the Son of Man is revealed to, if we read Luke chapter 17, verse 30. This is kind of like the story of Noah, because Noah preached to people and everything, but nobody really accepted, as was recorded in the account, really, but all those people were left behind, and Noah and his family moved on. In Genesis chapter 6 to 8. In our time, those who do not know that Christ's kingdom has come and that Christ is ruling it, if we read Isaiah chapter 9 and verses 6 and 7 and chapter 32 verse 1, won't understand what's going on in the world. They won't understand why the kings exactly were defeated 
if you read Revelation chapter 6, from verses 15 to 17, how the powers of heaven were shaken. If you read Matthew chapter 24, verse 29, they want to understand why spirituality is fading, why it's like a famine. If you read Amos chapter 8, verse 11, they want to understand how Jesus Christ is creating a new system to rule the world, the new heaven and the new earth. In Revelation chapter 21, from verses 1 to 5, Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17, and 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. That evil system that used to rule this world is being removed in a gradual, systematic, and casual process. Jesus Christ is dismantling the leaders in this world by reducing their power so that Satan does not have such ones to keep the world under his sway. So that love, peace, patience, etc., the things mentioned in Galatians chapter 5 and verses 22 and 23, and righteousness can rule the world, and so that God can be all in all. If we read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from verses 24 to 28, most Christians don't know anything that I have just said, and because of that, those people are left behind because they'll go run after the things of the world and they will pass away if you read 1 John chapter 2 from verses 15 to 17. But those who understand the signs of the times and live their lives accordingly, prayerfully and soberly, if you read 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 7, are the ones who who are considered the ones who are taken, and the others who do not understand are the ones who are left behind. They are not considered in what God is doing. And because of this, there are various verses in the Bible that have described Jesus' coming as being like a thief in the night, like in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, and Revelation chapter 16, verse 15. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth, and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. People think that this means that the rapture will come in an hour that they don't know. No, it means that people will not understand Jesus Christ coming. And if you look at the world, that is almost obvious. But it's not because Jesus Christ plans that specifically, as in, okay, Jesus Christ wanted to really be secret. No, because obviously, he's not, that's kind of evil in that light. Rather, it's that because the world is in sin, is in wickedness, wickedness is abundant, if we read Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, that envelopes people in this world to not understand when Jesus Christ would come in. What he's doing is quite obvious. It's just that people won't understand it because of false pastors and the abundance of them. If you read Matthew chapter 24, verses 5, 11, and 24. And the want of the general society to look out for their governments instead of looking out for Jesus Christ and what he's doing. It's important we understand everything that I have just said. Because Matthew chapter 24, verses 40 and 41, is not referring to the facts that people will be going up to heaven or anything, but rather the gospel message and what it does. There's a lot more that can be said about that, of course. But another thing that people misunderstand apart from this verse is the saints. Because people don't really know who the saints are and what their inheritance will be. Anytime they see a verse like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, they think that, oh, this means that everybody will be going to heaven. And in that place, it says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, 
with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. We think that this refers to everybody, but it does not. The first part about how Jesus Christ will descend from heaven is not literal because St. Paul told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 that we will not know Jesus Christ as a physical human being any longer. Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet henceforth know we him no more. It means he's turning his attention to the affairs of this world. And this links up with what God himself had said in Exodus chapter 3 verse 8. He said, Now I am come down to deliver you out of the hand of the Egyptians. We will never see God and he is not coming down to this world at any point. If we read Exodus chapter 33 verse 20. Rather, it's that he was turning his attention to them. And in our time, Jesus Christ has done the same. The voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and everything like that is not a physical voice. Jesus Christ is not physically shouting, but it has to do with the fact that when he was crowned king, if we read Psalms chapter 21 verse 3, he needed his people, the saints and everything, to rule with him. If you read Luke chapter 22 from verses 28 to 30, Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations, and I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. He made that promise before he was crucified, and he was ready to carry it out when he was crowned king. And then he called those people from the grave and said, Now it is time for me to rule, and now it is time for you to be judges over the world. So that trumpet is Jesus Christ calling them, assembling them to his fold. And if you look at the two trumpets in Numbers chapter 10, from verses 2 to 10, they would serve similar purposes. The trumpets were blown to signal things such as assembling the Israelites together. Because remember, they were a massive group, so you needed that kind of instrument to get them together. And it was also to signal when they were to start a battle. If they were fighting against the Ammonites or something, those two trumpets would be blown and that would signal the Israelites to attack. The way some navies in Europe would say, attack, and then all of the stuff would just start happening. The war with their soldiers and everything would begin. So that is what that First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 is referring to. And then if we look at verse 17, talking about how we will be taken up to the air. It's referring to those apostles who are being chosen in our time because Jesus Christ, being crowned king, is gathering the remainder of his elect. If we read Matthew chapter 24 and verses 30 and 31, those are the remnants of the apostles who will try to warn people of what's going on in our time because clearly people don't actually know. They're being used to let people know so that the children of God who will listen to their message can be gathered to him. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations, and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel, and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 12. That is the role of the saints, and that is what is going to happen, and is happening. And if we look at Revelation chapter 6 and verses 10 and 11, some of the apostles 
figuratively, where it's saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And the response was, Wait, because your brothers, the other apostles, need to be chosen first so that the number can be complete. And the remainder of that number is being chosen in our time. I hope we now understand who the saints are and how the whole concept of rapture isn't really real because the saints are a specific class of people who will be taken to heaven. And we will not see them be taken to heaven, of course. It just means they're going to die and then they're going to immediately be changed into spirits. They'll just suddenly become spirits. It's not that there's going to be this flamboyant demonstration of changing from one thing to another. Another thing people don't understand is how God rewards his children, especially when it comes to Matthew chapter 5 verse 12, which reads, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. They think that it means we have to go to heaven to receive that reward. No, it rather means that we will get our rewards from heaven. Our rewards will not be earthly rewards in the light of, oh, God will bless us with so much money and everything. It rather means that we will get heavenly ordained rewards. Abraham was somebody who is a living example of this because he did not get his rewards from the men around him, the Chaldeans or the Canaanites or anybody. No, God himself brought the blessing that he inherited. He was promised a nation before he even had a child. In Genesis chapter 12 from verses 1 to 3, and chapter 15 in verses 5 and 6. He wouldn't have really understood what it means to have a nation be built out of you. But he believed, and that was a heavenly reward, because no man could let that happen. God himself made sure of it. Those are the kinds of examples that come from heaven itself. It does not mean that we are going to go to heaven to receive those rewards. And of course, for those who use the story of Elijah to think that they're going to go to heaven, thinking that, oh, because Elijah was taken up in some kind of chariot to heaven in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11, we must also be taken there too. Jesus Christ, who lived on this earth after Elijah, had said, No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. John chapter 3, verse 13. From all this evidence, I think it's clear now that the rapture is not an event that will actually take place. But of course, then the question might be, fine, we won't go to heaven, but what will the righteous ones of God actually get? Where will they live eternally? What is their eternal habitation? The Bible has told us that it will be this earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. See also Psalms chapter 37 in verses 9, 11, and 22. That is why God is reworking the world in the first place. Some people even think that they have to go to heaven because the Bible says that this world will be destroyed. If we read 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, oh, the earth also and the works thereof will be burned up. No, it means God is removing the old system that used to rule this world, the Kingships, even though those have already been removed, that sense of government is still quite prevalent in this world. And God is trying to remove that so that everybody can sit under his vine and under his fig tree and not be afraid.
afraid. People can't do that now because there's still corruption, there's still war, there's still poverty, there's still insecurity. God is trying to bring those things out of the world so that the righteous can live eternally here. In fact, if you look at Psalms chapter 102 from verses 19 to 22, it summarizes everything that I've said. He is sorry for what is happening in this world. He doesn't like what's going on and he's trying to fix it so that it can be what he wanted from the beginning. For he hath looked down from the height of the sanctuary. From heaven did the Lord behold the earth, to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to loose them that are appointed to death, to declare the name of the Lord in Zion, and his praise in Jerusalem, when the people are gathered together, and the kingdoms to serve the Lord. Psalm chapter 102, from verses 19 to 22. God doesn't see anything wrong with the earth, as in like he doesn't want to destroy it physically, because it's his footstool. If read Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1. He likes the earth, because he created it for himself. If read Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18, and chapter 60, verse 21. He created it to be inhabited, as that Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18 reads. We should understand the facts that we are not going to be going to heaven, but rather we will be living in this world, but in a reworked one, so that the righteous can shine like stars, as Jesus Christ promised in Matthew chapter 13, verse 43. I don't think I need to say any more on discussing the subject rapture. To conclude this episode, let's hear a tune that some of us might be familiar with. remember this is not the only theory that people have developed there are many more but you should always try to check to make sure whether those theories are actually very biblical or whether they're just things that people developed and took a few verses to make for i testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book if any man shall add unto these things god shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book and if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Have a good day. Oh, one more thing. If you like what you heard today, feel free to share a message at https colon double slash anchor dot fm slash it pays to fear God slash message. Once again, that's https colon double slash anchor dot fm slash it pays to fear God slash message. Hope to hear your wonderful feedback.